Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? All right, let's get started. Welcome uh, once again. If you can go ahead and find your places to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, If you're here for the first time or visiting, we're glad to have you here. We are making our way in this study through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, there's a church down the road I noticed was doing a study on this, and they're already done. And I hadn't even got halfway through chapter. <laughs> so I kind of apolog- I have to apologize for that. But anyway, we have made it to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And we have been here. This will be our third week on these four verses. And we're sitting here and, and taking our time because this is such an important, important statement. That Jesus made. Now, I said last week, when we come to this part of the, of the sermon, uh, the question in front of us is how are we as Christians to view the Old Testament? Um, I, I mentioned last week, there are a lot of people out there today who call themselves Christians, call themselves believers, but they don't believe the Old Testament is true. They don't believe that God uh, created uh, everything in six days, in literal six days. They don't believe that there was a flood that covered the whole earth. They don't believe that there was a literal uh, man named Moses who led the children of Israel across the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. They don't believe those things are really true. Now, that's one side of it, but the other side of it is for even most Christians who do believe those things, I'm afraid they really don't know how to take the Old Testament. You know, if I ask people, what what part does the Old Testament play in your life? How important is the Old Testament to you? I'm just afraid many of us don't know what to do with it. So that's the question that's in front of us tonight is how are we as Christians to view the Old Testament? Now, our answer is pretty simple. We want to see it the way Jesus sees it. I said it often. You don't want to be called on Judgment Day thinking different than Jesus, right? Uh, Whatever Jesus thinks about the Old Testament, that's what I want to think about the Old Testament. And that's why this statement that he makes here is so, so very important because On that mountainside, Jesus is facing a group of people who believe in their mind, they think that he's going to do away with the Old uh, Testament. And this is his answer to those people. This is verses 17 to 20. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, last week I said that Jesus in this, these four verses makes three statements, three truth statements about the Old Testament. 
The first thing he says is that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Okay? The second thing he says is the Old Testament is going to endure to the end of time. And the third thing he says is that our rewards in heaven are going to be based on our response to the Old Testament. Now, as I said, the first one we covered in detail last week. So all of these are available on our YouTube channel. So if you weren't able uh, to be here and hear that, I would strongly encourage you to go listen to that lesson. We talked about how everything in the Old Testament is a shadow, but the shadows are pointing to the substance or the reality which is Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is all that, the, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the temple, the, the Sabbath, the, the dietary laws, all of that stuff was pointing to me. And I'm here. The reality is here. Again, covered that. I don't want to re-preach it, and I'll do that in a hurry if I'm not careful. So i got to move on. But again, watch it. So tonight we're going to look at the other two statements that he made. The first one is, he says, the Old Testament will endure to the end of time. Let's look at verse 18 by itself. For Jesus says, for truly, and by the way, when he says that, that means you can take it to the bank. You you can take this to the bank. It's going to happen. I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, we've talked about this, the iota is the ninth letter of the Greek alphabet, for those of you who don't know that. It's like, it's really, it's equivalent to our letter I, which is a fairly small, insignificant letter. A dot is just a mark. It could be a, an apostrophe. It could be a, a, a period. It could be uh, like the difference between a capital E and a capital F is one mark, right, at the bottom of the E. That's what he's talking about. So what Jesus is saying here is the Old Testament is not going to pass away. And just in case you were wondering, well, do you mean all of it? He's saying not even the smallest part of it. Not even any letter, not even any mark of it is going to pass away until heaven and earth pass away and everything in it is accomplished. Now, when he makes this statement, he's affirming two very important things to you and I. The first one, as I said, he's affirming the endurance of the Old Testament. Now, why is that important? Well, sometimes you'll hear people say that the Old Testament or Scripture in general has been tampered with. Uh, You remember what we talked about last week, uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. They had such specific, detailed prophecies in them about Jesus Christ that for years scholars said, well, they had to have been written after Jesus died. Remember that? In other words, Scripture's been tampered with. That's why the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls are so important, because they uncover the Dead Sea Scrolls, they date them, they date to over 100 years before Jesus was even born. But that's always an argument people are going to say, well, you know, that Scripture's been tampered with. Or they'll say things like, well, specific books have been lost. Like I've heard people say, well, why would the Gospel of Matthew be in Scripture but not the Gospel of Thomas? Some of you don't even know there's a Gospel of Thomas. You don't need to know there's a Gospel of Thomas because there's a lot of really good reasons that it does not belong in Scripture. Or you'll hear people say, well, the the copies we have today are not translated correctly. By the way, you'll hear that from Jehovah's Witnesses and you'll hear that from Mormons. They'll say, well, there's, there's problems with it. You need to read our book. You need to read our translation. So you're always going to hear this. This is why this is so important. Now, 
A few weeks ago, when we went through our study on relevant cultural topics and we covered truth, I spent a whole lesson talking to you about the historical accuracy and reliability of of the Scripture. In fact, uh, the Scripture is the most accurate ancient document that we have. In fact, it has more historical uh, evidence than any ten ancient manuscripts combined. Now, that's great, right? I'm, I'm thankful for that. But folks, we got something way, way, way better than that. We got the words of Jesus Christ himself. And what Jesus is saying is when they say that it's been tampered with, when they say books have been lost, when they say it's been translated, what he's saying right here is, folks, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. God, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God, is God enough to preserve Scripture all the way down to the tiniest little letter and the tiniest little mark. So right here, he's affirming, you don't have to worry about that. My Father in heaven is able to make this scripture endure, not just 2,000 years ago, but to the end of time. By the way, scripture itself affirms that. For example, 1 Peter 1.25, the word of the Lord endures forever. So yes, we've got historical accuracy. Yes, we've got the, the words of scripture but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going where Jesus goes. If he says it's, it's accurate, he says it's going to endure, that's good enough for me. The second thing that Jesus affirms is not only in the endurance of Old Testament, he affirms the authority of the Old Testament. See, what he's saying here is God himself has chosen the exact words of Scripture down to the very smallest letter and the least of the marks. I just, I just love that, right? That it's not like this, you know, I mean, the, he's preserving it. He's chosen it down to the smallest letter and the smallest mark. Now, many liberal Christians today, I mentioned them earlier. A lot of people out here call themselves believers, call themselves Christians, but they'll say, you know what, that, that stuff, especially in the Old Testament about creation and about the flood and about the Exodus story and all that, don't worry about it. Those things aren't really true, but it's okay, Because what's really important is the ideas of the Bible, not the details. You see, they love the ideas. They they love to say, well, what you really need to get from the Bible is that we should love one another and forgive one another and be merciful to one another. They love that. And so they want to focus on the ideas. It's the ideas that are important. It's It's not the details. Don't worry about the details. But folks, Jesus didn't take that view at all. He didn't take that view of all. He's saying every word of Scripture is important, down to the smallest letter and down to the smallest mark. I want to give you another example. This kind of steps out of the Sermon on the Mount, but it speaks to the same, uh, it speaks to the same point. This has really, always really interested me. In Matthew 22, <clears throat> some Jewish men, it was a certain sect of the, of the Jews called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were the liberal Christians of that day. Uh, They were Jews, but they didn't believe in the resurrection and they didn't believe in miracles at all. Okay, so here you got these people, they say they're Jews, they say they believe in the Old Testament, but they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in miracles. So they come to Jesus one day with a question. Now remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. And they said this, they said, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now... They're referring to Deuteronomy 25. So let me explain what happened in that day. Let's say in that day you had a family of brothers. 
And what they wanted to be sure of is that the land and the property and the herds stayed in the family, right? So let's say a, a woman comes in and today if a woman marries a man, the man dies, she gets everything. The problem in that day is if the woman would have got everything, she goes off and marries another man. Now the other man gets all the property and the herds and everything that belonged to the family. So they wanted to ensure that didn't happen, so they had a law. And the law was is that if a man dies and he doesn't have any children, then she has to marry one of the brothers. And when they have a son, that son becomes the heir of her first husband's stuff, so it stays in the family. Everybody with me? Whether you like it or not, don't really matter. That's just the way it was uh, back then. So this is, the, this is the quandary they present to Jesus. They say, now there were seven, they're just making this up, by the way. There were seven brothers, and the first one married and died, and he didn't have any offspring, and he left his wife to his brothers, so too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. So basically, she married the first brother, he dies, there's no kids, so she marries the second brother, he dies, no kids, she marries the third brother, the fourth brother, the fifth brother, all the way down to seven brothers. And this is their question. In the resurrection, therefore, now remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? Now, I can just see these guys before they went to Jesus. Oh, we got a, we got a pickle for him now, right? We, I mean, this is such muddled human thinking, right? That somehow this just totally... In fact, that's actually what they thought. They thought that they had come up with this scenario that made the resurrection seem foolish, and therefore, any scenario like that that made the resurrection seem foolish, therefore, the resurrection couldn't be true. This is Jesus' answer to them. Jesus said, you're wrong. And you're wrong for two reasons. Number one, you don't know the Scripture. And number two, I love this, you don't know the power of God. Man, I love that. You don't know the power of God. In other words, God can do anything He wants to do. He's not, he's not hampered in by your little box that you put him in and your little quandaries and your little uh, problems you can come up with. God is, you don't know his power. And he goes on, he says, for in the resurrection, they don't marry or are given in marriage or black angels in heaven. So basically what he says, when you get to heaven, it don't matter how many times you've been married, in heaven there ain't no marriage. You're like angels in heaven. So he answered that question, but then he goes on, and this is the part I want you to look at. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. And Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, he's of the living. Now, do you just see what Jesus just did? Jesus just validated the truth of the resurrection based on the, the tense of a word. In other words, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. I, I am. Now, by the way, they've been long dead when he said this. He said, I am right now. Now, here's what I want you to see. Every word of Scripture, according to Jesus, has been chosen down to the smallest letter, the smallest mark, even to the tense of the words. Jesus used the tense of the words to prove the validity of the resurrection. He affirms all of these things. Listen, if he's chosen the tense of the words, if he's chosen the letters, if he's chosen the marks, listen, certainly I can trust what he says about science or history or life or death or anything else that the Bible teaches. Now, let's turn to our third thing that he says. Jesus said, our rewards in heaven are going to be based 
on our response to the Old Testament. Let's read verse 19 again. Therefore, now by the way, let's be, let's be very clear. When Jesus is sitting on this mountainside and he makes this statement, there is no New Testament. He's not died yet. He's not been resurrected yet. There's been no uh, Pentecost yet. There's been no letters written, no gospels written. There's only the only commandments are the Old Testament. This is what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, i got five things I need to say about this verse. This is the first one. This is not about salvation. Okay, I want, you to, I want to be very clear. What Jesus is referring to here is not about salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I'll give you a couple scriptures. Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot be saved by works. In fact, God precludes that possibility because he doesn't want anybody to be able to brag and say, I did it. You are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. In Galatians 3, Paul says this, talking about the Old Testament law. So then the law was our guardian to get us to Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. In in other words, the whole purpose of the law was to teach you that you couldn't be saved by the law. That was the whole point of it, to teach people you can't do it. You need somebody to do it for you. I, I say that all the time. Religion says do, do, do. Christianity says it's done. It's done for you. So, so all this law brings us to Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Here's the one that can do it for you because all of these years of history has proven you cannot do it. Paul says now that faith has come, we're not under the law. We're not saved by the law or anything like that. Now let's read what Jesus says again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do will be called, say it with me, least in the kingdom of heaven. Folks, listen to me. Even least in the kingdom is still in the kingdom. Okay? Let's be really clear. Even the least in the kingdom is still in the kingdom. So let's be, let's make right off the bat, Jesus is not talking about salvation. That is not what he's talking about here. Okay? What he's talking about is rewards. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about rewards. Now listen, I, I run into some Christians sometime who think uh, when you start talking about rewards in heaven, some Christians think that's kind of beneath us, right? Well, you know, I, I really shouldn't be serving God for rewards and and we really shouldn't talk about getting rewards. Folks, let me be honest with you. The Bible doesn't see it that way at all. In fact, read Hebrews eleven six. It says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and must believe that He what? Rewards. I mean, it's saying part of having real faith is believing not only that God exists, but that, is he, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, we are going to cover this in detail in chapter 6. Okay, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to give us scriptures like, don't be like the Pharisees who, who go out in the marketplace and blow their horns and wear their robes and ring their bells when they give. You do it in secret. Do it in secret and your Father will reward you. Chapter 6, Jesus will say, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven 
where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, where thieves don't steal. He's going he's gonna to talk a lot in chapter 6 about rewards, so we won't spend that much time tonight. But what I do want to show you is that what Jesus is saying right here in the Sermon on the Mount lines up exactly what Paul, with what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read this. Paul says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation, and let's stop right there. So what he's saying, he's talking about a person who has accepted Jesus Christ, who is, who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is their foundation. Now, he says, if anyone builds on the foundation, and he calls this, these things works, they're gold, they're silver, they're precious stone, they're wood, they're hay, they're straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, talking about judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, talking about the fire of judgment, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, what he's saying is every one of us as believers, once we're saved by faith, it's a gift of God, we start to work, right? But one day, the works that we do... Now, some of you, and I I look around this room, I know a lot of you, a lot of you do all kind of different things. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Some of you are ushers. Some of you are mentors. Some of you are givers. Some of you, y'all do a lot of stuff. One day, your works that you do are going to be judged. They're going to go through the fire of judgment. And he and Paul says some of them are going to come out as gold and silver and, uh, and, and precious jewels. And some of it are going to get burned up like wood, hay, and straw. Well, what's the difference? It's like me. I've been teaching this class 14 years, 15 years. Come in here all the time and teach, teach, teach. Love doing it. One day I'll be judged for it. And what he's going to judge is my motives. Why were you doing it? Were you doing it so people could, could pat you on the back and tell you how great you are? Well, you done got your reward, son. That was your reward. That, that's gone. But if I'm doing it because I love his word and if I do it because I love him and if I do it because I've got a passion to, to put the word of God into people's hearts, if, if I'm doing it for that, it's going to come out as gold and silver and precious stones and I'm going to get rewarded for it. So if the work... Did I lose this? I'm good. Okay. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's... Listen, if anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, say it with me, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, you're not talking about your salvation. You're talking about the works on top of your salvation and the motives behind them. Now, what are these works? As I mentioned, there's all kind of things. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. So it's as simple as giving a cup of cold water or helping somebody on the highway or, 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 or giving some money There's, or, or, or going to the, working at the homeless shelter. We could go or teaching or preaching or, I mean, we could go on and on. But let me tell you what one of the works certainly is. According to Jesus, one of the works you're doing is how you handle God's Word. How you handle God's Word is going to determine how you are rewarded in heaven. Let's read it again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first thing I want to point out 
is the word whoever. And, and I, I point this out because a lot of people, you look up here and you only see people on the stage. You think, well, the teachers are, are you know, Derek or Henry or, or Chuck or Brother Al or, or Brother Bill or Brother Blackie. Those are the ones you're talking about. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. He's talking about everybody. Listen to uh, Matthew 28. Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Was that just for the disciples? Or was that for everybody? By the way, if it was just for the disciples, he would never have said, I'm with you to the end of the age, because they're not going to live to the end of the age. He would have said, I'm, in, I'm with you to the end of your life, or I'm with you to whatever. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to that generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, and he's saying, I'm going to be with you. That's for all of us. We're called to go out. Now, how do we do that? We're called to make disciples. We're called to share the gospel. We're called to, to teach others how to grow in Christ. There's not a person here, to be quite honest, that shouldn't be discipling somebody. There's not a person here. You shouldn't be in a relationship with someone where you're discipling that person. Now, the Bible calls out some of these relations. If you're here and you're a parent or a grandparent, it is your job to teach your children. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for our children's uh, uh, ministry. I'm thankful for uh, Miss Lori. But, and they do a great job, but that doesn't preclude or dispose you from fulfilling your responsibility as a parent. It is your job to teach your children. And by the way, you will stand in judgment for how you did that job. Older women should be teaching younger women. If you're here and you're an older woman, and I won't even say what the cutoff is, you figure that out yourself. (laughs) But if you're an older woman, you should be looking for opportunities. There's not an older woman here that shouldn't have some relationship with a younger woman helping her, mentoring her. Maybe she doesn't have a godly mother. Who's going to do that? I mean, Scripture, Titus 2, tells us that. Husbands teach their wives. Listen, it may not be politically correct, and it may not be culturally correct, but I'm telling you, when I stand before God as a husband, He's going to hold me accountable for my wife. It is my job, not YouTube's job, to teach her doctrine. I'm sorry, it's not anybody, it's my job to make sure that sound doctrine is coming into our home. Whether it's through teachers in the church or whether it's through teachers on YouTube or whatever, that's my job. I'm the filter. And I'll stand in judgment for that one day. Now here's the thing. Since we're, we're teachers as, as older women or husbands or, or parents teaching children, obviously it's possible for us to teach them wrong if we misinterpret Scripture. Does that make sense? You can be earnest. You can really think, boy, I'm I'm really doing... And and you got it all wrong. So it's, you know, obviously we want to put some effort into rightly handling the word of truth, which is exactly what Paul tells Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handling the word of truth. But here's the thing, it's not just our teaching that matters, right? Our obedience matters as well. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. 
I love that. Don't just watch what you're teaching, but watch your own behavior. See, the fact is you can have your doctrine dead on right, and if you ain't living it, nobody cares. Nobody's going to give... Nobody cares. Nobody's going to listen to you. How many, how many children are coming to church and hearing things and they go home and they watch it not lived out? And we wonder why they grow up and leave the, leave the church. It's your responsibility not just to teach it, but to live it. And that's what he's telling Paul. So again, if we have the correct doctrine, but we don't practice it, we're only going to harm ourselves uh, and others who are listening to us. So here's what Jesus is saying, Matthew 5, 19. We're going to receive rewards or not receive rewards based on what we do with God's Word. John MacArthur said this, Greatness is not determined by gifts, by success, by popularity, by reputation, or by size of ministry. Man, I, I kind of like that. I think every teacher should love uh, Matthew five nineteen because it's, it's not about how many YouTube hits you get. It's not about how popular you are. It's not about how many people are in your church. It's about are you rightly handling the Word of God. You do that and you live it out to the best of your ability and your rewards will come out as gold and silver and it, all that other stuff, size of ministry and all that, don't mean nothing. He goes on to say, it's, uh, greatness is determined by a believer's view of Scripture as revealed in his life and teaching. Jesus' promise is not simply to teachers such as Paul or Augustine or Calvin or Luther or Wesley or Spurgeon or Jones. His promise applies to every... Bo- Y'all didn't even get that. <laughs> I can't believe Jones ain't in that list, but hey... His promise applies to every believer who teaches others to obey God's Word. I I like that. In the end, the question you and I need to ask ourselves is, are we faithfully studying and teaching and obeying God's Word? Unfortunately, we see churches full of believers who just don't seem to care. It's almost like, hey, I'm saved by grace. I got my ticket. I got my spot in heaven. What does it really matter? Folks, listen, I want to walk in and I don't want to be ashamed. I want to walk in and I want to hear those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your uh, reward. Those that are unfaithful to the calling to teach and obey God's word rightly. Again, this is not about salvation but they're going to find themselves unrewarded by God in heaven. Two more quick things. One of the things Jesus teaches us here is that some commands are greater or lesser than others, but every command matters. Okay, let me say that again. It's easy, and the reason I point this out, because it's so easy for us as humans to open that book and read commands and say, well, that one's certainly important, but this one, eh, it's like going down a buffet line at Morrison's, for those of you that ever remember Morrison's, and, and, or what's the other place up in, uh, I don't remember all these places. But anyway, it's like going through, and yeah, I like that, I like that, I like that, but not that. Listen, we'll not be foolish about this. Certainly there are uh, certain commands more important than others, but what Jesus is saying is they all matter. They're all important. Don't take any of them lightly. How do we know some are greater than others? Uh, Well, we know that from Jesus, Matthew 22. Some men asked Jesus, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? 
Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no more command more important than love God. Loving your neighbor is important, but it's not as important as the first one. So there are greater commands and lesser commands. I'll give you another one. Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, which were like herbs and spices. And you, you make sure you got it. You know, if you get some spices, you cut out your 10% and you make sure God gets it. And he says, But you have neglected the weightier or more important matters of the law, such as justice and mercy. And faithfulness, and he goes on to say, you shouldn't have neglected the other ones. You should do them all. And that, again, it's this idea that it's all important. Yes, some are, are more important, but they're all, they all matters. Romans 7, Paul says it this way, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. All of it. In fact, James says in 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. In other words, the New Testament writers see the law as a whole, as a single unit. Yes, there's some things that are more important, but all of it matters. Number five, and I close with this. What does this verse mean to me? Now, here's the thing. I know immediately when you read this verse, I know the first thing that comes to your mind because it's the first thing that comes to my mind. Jesus is sitting there. He's talking about the Old Testament. He says this, whoever relaxes one of the least of those commands is going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, I don't want to be least in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be great. I hope you want to be great too. But he says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these. So what is our first reaction to that? Well, my first reaction is, well, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe I need to go back and read them again and do more. Right? That's what the Pharisees did. They read a rule, they read a law and said, well, let's make some more rules on top of that. Let's get it, you mean, let's nail this thing down. That's your first reaction. In fact, let me say this. I'm going to ask three questions that come out of the Old Testament. Number one, can I eat shrimp? Everybody knows one of the dietary laws. You couldn't eat, the Jews couldn't eat shrimp. Can I eat shrimp? Number two, should I worship on Saturday? Saturday is the seventh day. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. Should I, should I go back to worshiping on the Sabbath? And I mean, Jesus just said, don't relax those. So, so maybe I should go back and, and find a church that worships on the Sabbath. Should I observe Passover? I mean, that was one of the laws that you had to observe Passover. Should I? So everybody, you feel the tendency, right? The tendency is, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. Okay, here's the thing. Before I answer those three questions, and I'll answer them for you, I want to point something out. There are three ways that anybody here can approach God's Word. Here's the first way. It's something that we call licentiousness. This is somebody that comes to the Word of God and they open it and they see the commands and they say, you know what? I'm saved by grace. At the end of the day, I've punched my ticket. I, 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 none of this really matters. And so they, they think being freed from the law as a means of salvation means that we're freed from the law as a rule of life. And so they just go and do anything they want to do. Oh, you know, those, you know that stuff about divorcing your wife? Well, God will forgive me. I'm just going to do it anyway. That stuff about committing adultery, I know it says to do that, but hey, I'm saved by grace. 
this, this, these things about, you know, uh, uh, fornication and sex outside of marriage. Well, you know, my boyfriend really wants me to live with him. I'm just going to go. God will forgive me. I'm under grace. That's called licentiousness. Now, by the way, Paul wrote the entire chapter of Romans 6 to deal with that issue right there. He opens that chapter and says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How are we who are saved out of that going to go walk and lie in the putridness of it again? Basically, it's what he's saying. That's, that's crazy, he says. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with here in, in, in Matthew 5, 19. He's, he's saying to us, therefore, whoever relaxes those commands, he's saying don't, be, don't practice licentiousness. Don't be one of those who looks at the commands and say, well, that doesn't really matter. Don't do that. That's exactly what he's speaking to here. Now, there's another side to that. The pendulum can swing the other way, and that is to legalism. So on one hand, you got all these people that think the, the commands of God, the laws of God don't matter. I can do anything I want. On the other hand, you got people who think I'm going to earn my way to heaven by obeying the rules. I'm going to be the best rule follower there ever is. And so they, they do everything in their power to follow the rules. And they think, they think they're earning righteousness in God's sight. That's called legalism. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. And that's exactly why Jesus said that. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs. You be as legalistic as you want. You make up rules like they did. And unless your righteousness exceeds them, you're not getting into heaven. So licentiousness is not the way to go. Legalism certainly is not the way to go. Jesus just said, don't do that either. So what is the right way to approach the Word of God? Well, we've already read it. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, one who accurately handles the Word of truth. What that means is we don't take things out of context. We get, under, we get in the Bible and we read in context. We get under a Bible study teacher. We get in a Bible-believing church with, with men who can teach the Word of God and have proven themselves teachers of the Word of God years and years and years. And you sit under that and you learn and you listen and you figure out how to interpret Scripture. We say it all the time. The Bible will always interpret itself. Just let it. It'll tell you what's there. So let's go back to our questions. Can I eat shrimp? Should I worship on Saturday? Should I observe Passover? Well, can I eat shrimp? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth and into the body that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the heart. Thus, Mark said, he declared all Foods clean. You remember Peter and the, the curtain, I mean the, the, the blanket thing or whatever it was come out of heaven and it had all the animals and God said, rise Peter and eat. And Peter said, no, I don't eat anything unclean. And God said, what I call clean, don't let no man call unclean. You see, the fact is, geez, that was a shit. Now, by the way, let me tell you what's important here. Remember what I said last week? What were the dietary laws about? Somebody tell me. Holiness. Holiness, don't be like those people who will eat anything. Don't dress like those people who will dress anyway. It, it was laws that it almost forced the Jews that you couldn't eat with a Gentile because you couldn't eat what they ate. 
And even if they served you venison or, 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 or beef or something that you could eat, they didn't kill it the right way so you couldn't eat it. I mean, it made the separation. It was about holiness. Jesus walks on the scene and says, the reality is here. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you and I'm going to cause you, I'm going to write my law on your heart. Holiness has moved from the outside to the inside where it always belongs. Jesus fulfills that. Eat shrimp, eat it all you want. Fried, grilled, raw, I don't care. Eat whatever you want. Should I worship on Saturday? Should I worship on Saturday? You can worship any day you want. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was a shadow. It was pointing to the reality. Jesus has walked on the scene and said, You enter into my rest by faith. Stop your working. Stop trying to earn your righteousness. Enter into the Sabbath rest, which is Jesus. So you want to worship on Saturday? Feel free. You want to worship on Sunday? Feel free. You want to worship on Tuesday? Do anything you want to do. doesn't matter because worship is not in a building. It's in a person. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Should I observe Passover? Jesus is the Passover, man. He, he's the fulfillment of that. I'm not covered by blood on a doorpost. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus on my heart, man. I, I'm covered by a person. I, you want to you wanna go observe a meal? Feel free. But certainly don't observe it thinking it's earning you anything. You don't want to eat shrimp? Don't eat it. But don't think it's earning you anything. But let me, let me tell you, understand, shrimp in the old days was about holiness. God still requires holiness. Worshiping on Saturday in the Old Testament was about, uh, about the Sabbath and about rest. God still requires a Sabbath rest that you only find in His Son. Should I observe the Passover? And the Passover of the old days was about how God, through the blood, can protect us from, from the enemy, which is death, and so on and so on. Jesus does all that for us now. He does all that for us now. That's what he said last week. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. No, I've come to... I, I complete it. Those were shadows. The reality is here. One quick thing, and I think you'll find this interesting. A lot of scholars... There, how many laws anybody know are in the Old Testament that God gave? 613, you're very right. 613 laws. God has not divided these up like that, but some scholars have, and it's pretty cool. And they call there certain laws in the Old Testament that are ceremonial. There are certain laws in the Old Testament that are civil and moral. What's the difference? Ceremonial is all about holiness. It's all about how we approach God. So all of the laws in the Old Testament that were about sacrifices or feast or priesthood or, or circumcision or Passover or Sabbath... That was all about relating to God. Civil laws were all about government. They all applied to the nation of Israel. Things like if you two men get in a fight and one of them accidentally hits a pregnant woman and the child is injured, what kind of restitution do you make? All of those kind of things. Those were civil laws. And then you had moral laws. Don't steal, don't kill, don't lie. Sexual conduct, uh, jealousy, idolatry, things, as Jesus said, that deal with mercy and and justice, and faithfulness. Now, here's the thing. Those first two are all fulfilled in Jesus. We don't need a priesthood anymore. He's the high priest. We don't need a temple anymore. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I I don't need a sacrifice anymore. 
He sacrificed one time, said it's finished, and sat down at the right hand of God. We can go on and on and on. We don't have to follow those. Those are all completed and fulfilled in Jesus. The civil laws, the Bible tells us in Romans, I believe, 13 or 14, that we're under the governing authority of our countries. It's not about the Jewish state anymore. Those are all fulfilled. But what about the moral laws? It's very interesting. Every one of those is all repeated in the New Testament. You don't have to go back and argue, well, you know, that, that, that was in the Old Testament. Just look and see, is it in the New? They'll repeat it. If it's important, Paul will list it. And he did. So every one of the moral laws in the Old Testament is repeated. Yes, we're still under them. Absolutely. Not saved that way, but certainly we are, we are to walk worthy, Paul says. Walk worthy. Can I eat shrimp? Yep. Should I observe Passover? It's up to you. Should I worship on Saturday? I'll close with this last thing. Jesus' whole point here, it matters. Are you with me? It matters. Let me give you one more scripture, and this kind of sums it up. This is Paul, Romans 14, 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's one of the craziest scriptures in the world to me. He's saying you and I as Christians, as believers, can, can come to something and come up with two different uh, think I, I need to do this and you need to do that and we can be the opposite. And Paul says that's perfectly okay. You want to worship on Saturday and you think you got to do that? Then if that's what you really believe, then you better do it. And I may sit over here and say, man, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. I'm not going to do it. And, and God says that's perfectly fine, but you better be fully convinced in your own mind. Why? Because it matters. It matters. We can't be those people that just say, well, that's just a minor thing. It doesn't. Re-. Yes, it does. God wants us to walk out this walk with Him. He wants us to be in His Word. He wants us to be listening to the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be under good Bible teachers. And He wants us to be making decisions. Not going through life saying it all doesn't matter. Don't be one of those. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank You for Your Word. What a... What an absolutely incredible word it is. The, the longer I'm in it, the more I read it, the more I study it, it, is just, it just blows my mind. Father, help us to be a church. Help us to be a body. Help us to be people that know that the word matters. Help us not, as many out there are doing today, is just going through and saying, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. Yes, it matters. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit. Help us to, to, to have a love and a passion for the Word of God. And Father, I pray that uh, it'll make a just, it's already making a difference in this body and in this church. Your hand of blessing is upon it. And I just pray, God, that you continue that for the days to come. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.